Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. Good morning. How is everyone? Y'all doing well? Y'all excited to be in church? <clears throat> I'm excited to be here. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've, I've gotten to speak and uh, to speak to y'all. And, you know, we've, we've been in a series. If it's your first week here, we're actually at the tail end of a series uh, called The Good News. And we're talking about how the gospel is the real practical solution to the problems that we face and the issues that, the problems we face as individuals, the issues that we face as a culture. And so we, we, we talked about sin and original sin. We talked about purpose and meaning in life. Hey, welcome back from Egypt, Ramsey. Isn't that ironic? A guy named Ramsey went to Egypt. Anyway, uh, I have ADD. My name is Bronson Duke. It's nice to meet you. Uh, talked about sin. We talked about purpose and meaning. Uh, we talked about pain. Uh, we talked about the issues of sexuality and, and sexual ethics. We talked about racism last week. And this week, we're going to talk about the church. Everybody say the church. We're going to talk about the problem of the church. It, this is a complicated one. Uh, I, I read so much church history this week. You should pray for me. Uh, I, I got a little worn out by Friday. But I, I'm going to try to condense some church history um, and, and show you the good, bad, and the ugly and talk about where, where is God in all of these different things, all these travesties that have happened in history. But I think a good place to start is starting with defining the church. This is complicated, but I'm going to take a stab at it, okay? This is Bronson's best stab at defining the church. The, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. Uh, it, it means a gathering. Uh, it, it's certainly more than a gathering, but it's definitely not less than a gathering. We're going to talk about more of that later. Uh, the historical church is made up of the worshiping, confessing, kingdom-building people of God under the covenant promise of grace and under the lordship of Jesus, okay? So we receive the grace of Jesus. We also receive the leadership and the lordship of Jesus in thousands of congregations spread across the earth. We exist to glorify God through worship. That's what we're doing right here. We, we exist to build each other up through loving relationships. And we exist to seek the renewal. Everybody say renewal. Of the cities we call home through gospel-centered love, charity, and work. I want to re read a quote to you from Gerald, Gerald Sitzer. Uh, he, he said this. He said, when the church is functioning at its best, there's simply no community on earth that can rival it. But when the church is functioning at its worst, there's no community on earth that can do as much damage. Um, we're, we're going to dig into some of the historical issues. We're going to dig into some of the modern issues. But I think we have to define the problem. If we're going to talk about the problem of the church, I think we have to get into what the problem is. So what is the church? We talked about that. What's the problem of the church? The problem comes when worship becomes a dry, empty ritual, when relationship becomes toxic as we lie to each other and about each other in order to build ourselves up, and the city that we live in that we're supposed to bring renewal to is largely forgotten and abandoned as we seek our own good instead of the good of our neighbors. 
the problem in the church comes when we cease to live up to our ethics, our standards, and our values. And, and the question that we have to ask as Jesus followers is why does this happen? And over the next 27 minutes, I'm gonna do my best. Yo, there's no way, there's no way that I can fully cover this topic, but I'm gonna do my best to give us a 30,000 foot view and then to zoom down to New Life Church, downtown Little Rock and what this looks like for us, amen? Okay, uh, our scripture for this morning, and I, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time in it, but this is gonna kind of set the tone for everything that we're talking about. This is gonna be uh, Jesus's heart for the church. And so go with me to John chapter 13, if you have your Bible with you, John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. Here's what it says. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Everyone say commandment. This is a commandment from God. We're to love each other, just as I have loved you, that's Jesus, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all the good things that you've done in our community, all the good things that you're doing in our community. And God, we ask that you would just show us the areas where we're not loving well. God, we, we ask that you would reveal to us the areas where we're not living up to our call is the church. And God, I pray that you would help us graciously repent and walk in the fullness of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, I, I want to kick this off with a quote. I don't normally do this. I normally start with a story. Don't worry, the story's coming. Uh, but I, I thought this, this quote really encapsulates church life. It says this. It says, in the church, we get the resources and the power to be in relationship with people who are deeply deeply different from us. I love that quote. I wonder if you've come in contact with anybody in church life where you're like, yo, like if it was not for church, there is no uh, hemisphere, there is no world where we would probably be in relationship, right? And it's not because you don't like them. It's not because they're not cool enough for you. It's just because you are so radically different. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story about his wife who's like this five foot nothing Presbyterian wife, like wearing her cardigan, going to the coffee shop in New York, and she runs into this guy who's like basically Michael Monroe, who's like 6'6", covered in tattoos, has a bull ring, nose ring, and they're ordering coffee, and she always tries to find a way to invite someone to church. And as she does that, he goes, oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian too. And these two like polar opposite people begin to have this amazing conversation. They have this connection over what? their commonality that they find in Christ. Uh, Y'all, as you go through church, like one of the biggest issues in the world, it's actually an issue in the church, but we should be a signpost to the world, is that in the church that we can have unity, love, and relationship with people who are different from us. Why? Because we're a part of the same family, right? We have the same blood, the blood of Christ that covers us, that unites us. Um, it's, It's wild, right? Families are wild. Uh, church family can be wild. Okay, speaking of that, uh, this is about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, we got done with church. Cal and I, after service, always try to go out and stand at the next steps table. So if any of you guys want to meet us, talk to us, help help you get plugged into the church, you can. And so we'd been out there, and Callie put herself on a table just like this, put it down, and we walked off, and we were talking to a, cu- a couple, and she came back, and the phone was gone, Right? And Callie loses her phone a lot. So I was like, okay, let's go around. No lie. Two times, one of you guys have brought me her phone from the bathroom. Okay, so I'm thinking like, okay, she's left it somewhere. Well, we can't find it. We're asking everybody. And we finally realize, okay, 
the, the phone's walked off. It's, off. it's been turned off. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out where the phone is. About 45 minutes go by, all right? I'm just like pacing around the church. Like, God, I really wasn't stressed about it, but I'm like, somehow this is going to come together. And so Callie calls me, and she's like, Bronson, don't we have cameras in the church? I was like, Eureka, we do have cameras in the church. And so we went back, me, Neil, I think Nathan was there. And uh, we, we went back, and we're watching the cameras. And, y'all, you cannot make this stuff up. It was just like a movie. We used to have a coffee cart out in the foyer. I don't know if y'all remember that. And we had extended the umbrella right in front of the camera. Okay, so it obscured 90% of the foyer except for the table. Okay, like God's grace. And so, sure enough, we watched the person come up. Stand around, grab the phone, pocket it, boom, out the door, okay? And so we know who's got the phone. I know the guy, love the guy. And uh, it's like a spy movie at this point, okay? We, we roll into Neil's truck, and we're, like, zipping around town, and I'm like, when I find this guy, I'm just being honest with you, guy. I was not being a good pastor at this moment. I'm like, I'm going to grab him, and I, I'm going to get onto him. How dare you, you know, all this stuff. And so luckily it took us about 15 minutes to find him, and uh, I'd calmed down at that point. And so we go in, and y'all, there, there was this scene in my head. Have y'all seen Les Mis? Uh, it's a popular play. Uh, there's a movie. It's if you hate musicals, you're going to hate it, okay? Uh, but there, there's this scene in Les Mis uh, where, where a priest takes in uh, a, a homeless person, a hurting person who had come out of prison, and uh, the character's name is Jean Valjean. That's who he takes in. And Jean Valjean ends up stealing tons of silver and leaving. And he gets caught by the police with the silver. And he says, the priest gave it to me. And so they bring him back to the priest's house. And they say, we got your silver back. This crook said you gave it to me, gave it to him. And, and, and this is one of the best pictures of the gospel in literature. The priest said, my friend, you left too early. You didn't take the best with you. And he went and got his best silver and brought it to him and he gave it to him. He said to the officers, he says, he's told the truth. I've given this to him. And the officers leave and he looks at him and he says, my friend, look at this as an opportunity from God to change your life. And this is going through my head, okay? So this is what's in my head as I'm doing this. And so I went in and talked to him and he confessed, hey, I stole it. And so I'm like, how can I bless this guy? How, how can I bless this guy? And so I didn't give him everything and more, although maybe I should have. We, we bought him a meal, okay? He'd already ordered himself a beer and some food. And so we, we took care of that. We invited him back in. And my prayer is that at some point, he's not here today. That's why I can tell the story. Uh, but my, my hope is that at some point, he does come back in and he does become a part of the community because the church, and we're, we're about to start digging into some history here, that the church must be a place where we give and receive grace and we walk it out in love. Um, and I think it's, it's one of the most difficult things for us uh, as Christians to do because we get focused on our rights. We get focused on our anger. We get focused on our sense of justice instead of remembering that Jesus laid his life down for his enemies. Love is supposed to be the supreme ethic of the church. Jesus said not only is it our supreme ethic, it's the way that we should be known in the world. It should govern our vision as a church and our decisions and the way we live as a collective and as individuals. But the problem comes 
when we don't live by that ethic. And ooh, buddy, have we not lived by that ethic many times in history. And so let, let's jump in. This is not an exhaustive uh, look, but this is just a glimpse at our history in the church, okay? I, I, I'm going to jump forward a thousand years into church history to 1095. Okay, in 1095, uh, there, there was a proclamation from the Pope uh, that they were supposed to go in and take back the Holy Land. So a guy named Peter the Hermit, Peter, everybody say Peter the Hermit. Who doesn't want to follow Peter the Hermit? Uh, Peter the Hermit started a pauper that, that is a poor, impoverished person uh, at this time, revolution. And he gathered, by some estimates, up to 100,000 people who were from the lower class. And they started a march from uh, Europe, Italy, on down to the Holy Land, down in Israel. And, and their goal was to take back the Holy Land from the Muslims. That was the Turks at the time. And y'all, they, they, this was a miserable failure of a campaign, okay? So he went and he got people who already didn't have a lot. So they took on debt so that they could get weapons. I mean, this was a whole thing. This literally happened. And on the march, they stopped in Germany. I didn't know, I didn't realize this. This is Christians. This is the church. They committed the first genocide against the Jews. So from about 1000 AD to what we know in the Holocaust, there were multiple uh, genocides against the Jews in Europe. This was the first. Um, on the way down, his army began to starve because they were poor and they didn't have any money. And so they lost thousands and thousands of people. They end up getting down to the Holy Land and they get their butts kicked <laughs> by the Turks, the, the well-organized uh, Muslims. And so from Europe, they started sending down uh, princes and soldiers, and eventually they go in, and they murdered the Muslims. So instead of saving the Muslims, instead of laying their life down, instead of coming in and serving, they came in and they murdered those that they were supposed to share the gospel with. You know, right now, I was actually talking to Eric about this uh, in between services. Colonization is not a very popular term in our time, right? That is what you call a trigger word right now. But here's the truth. We as Christians are supposed to colonize. The call of Jesus is to colonize the earth with the culture and the kingdom of heaven. But the problem comes when we start colonizing with our culture. We start colonizing with our power, our power which lifts up, us up and puts others down. The power of God exists to seek and to save the lost, those who are enemies of God, and to bring hope and to bring light to them. There's been innumerable accounts of sexual abuse within the church by pastors and by priests. Even in this past century, there's all kinds of stories out there. You can watch it on Netflix. It's awful, the things that have happened. Maybe some of you guys may well have experienced something like this. And instead of firing the pastors when the church found out about it, they just transferred them. This is an awful thing that's happened within the church. Uh, going way back into church history again, um, the church murdered Joan of Arc. Have you ever heard of Joan of Arc? They killed Joan of Arc. Uh, they didn't like that it was a female military leader. They didn't like a lot of the, what she stood for. And so you know what one of the crimes against her was while they killed her? Dressing in men's clothing. Horrible. William Tint. How do you say this? William Tyndale, that's it. William Tyndale is one of the first translators of the Bible. He was murdered by the church from, for translating the Bible from Latin into English. Right? Why? Power. The church was trying to hold on to power. 
They started absolving sins. That was called indulgences. You could come in and you could literally pay the priest to tell you that your sins were absolved. And you could actually get ahead and say, hey, I'm planning on doing some things. And so I'm going to go ahead and cover next month as well. The church was encouraging this. This is some of the reason that the Protestant Revolution happened with Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, this is not the way of God. Encouraging sin. There's a person named Jan Haas who, who was executed for saying that the church was flawed because men were flawed. This was just exegesis. This is just theology. And the church had him executed because it did what? It stood against the church's power, y'all. The, the church had gotten focused. Anytime this happens, anytime we get focused on consolidating and holding on to power, instead of loving people, that's the rich and the poor, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, we get into trouble. Okay. That's the bad. That's not all the bad. That's some of the bad. I feel like that's bad enough. Do you guys agree? Okay. <laughs> the good history of the church. This, this right now, I, I actually have a little bit of a bee in my bonnet, so to speak, about this. Y'all, there is so much that our secular culture insists upon today that is actually something that started with Christian ethics. And so we're going to get into this. Okay, orphanages. Uh, there was something uh, of, a, of an epidemic of infanticide. This is where you could kill infants uh, in the Roman Empire. This was actually encouraged and expected. They had a process of something called exposure. That means that if you had a baby, you didn't want the baby, you could leave the baby, literally leave the baby outside to die. This was culturally accepted. They were fine with this. And Christians came along and said that those children have intrinsic value. It's something called the Imago Dei. Those, those children have intrinsic value. So not only are we going to say don't kill them, we're going to take them in ourselves. Okay? Uh, abortion. Abortion was widespread. This is not a new issue. This was widespread in the Roman Empire. And the Christians came and said, no, this is terrible. We're destroying human life. We will take these children in. And so they started orphanages, y'all. It, it's a beautiful thing that happened. Women's rights. Contrary to popular belief, women did not have a lot of rights in Greek and Roman culture. Uh, ladies, raise your hand. Okay, ladies in the house. Ladies, you could not leave your house without an escort, okay? You did not have access to education. Uh, there were so many different places. You were literally property of your husband. Uh, your, your husband could divorce you pretty much for anything, but you had no legal rights to divorce your husband, uh, no matter what he did within the Roman Empire. Um, your husband could kill you for adultery and or anything else he decided as long as he could get the elders to agree to it, y'all. So it, it, this time, women, I was actually sitting when I was reading this in Nexus, and I was seeing all these ladies who were studying for, for school. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. This is something that the church has contributed to society. Why, well, look at this. In Galatians, uh, Galatians 3.28, we read this, we think nothing of it, but this was revolutionary when it was written. Paul said this, he said, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you were all one in Christ. Yo, know, when people read this, this was mind-blowing to say that males and females were on equal footing. Yo, know, the church was the originator of women's rights, all the different things that we've seen throughout history, and it's a beautiful contribution to the church. Hospitals, did you know that prior to the church, hospitals did not exist. They had infirmaries for soldiers. They had things like that. They had doctors that you could go to and maybe you could get some sort of medicine, but there was no such, such thing as the nursing or care 
And so Christians started taking hurting poor people into their homes. And a little more history, 324. Anybody know what happened in 324? That's right. Constantine came to power. You got it. <laughs> 324, Constantine came to power, became the emperor of all of Rome, giving a Christian the full seat of power for the first time. Okay, listen, that's 300 AD. By 600 AD, the hospital system had spread all throughout uh, the Roman Empire and the major cities, and it was spearheaded and it was led by Christians. Now, there's this interesting view, I don't know if you all have come across this, that that healing and medicine are diametrically opposed ideas. This is not something that early Christians would have thought. Uh, I read a quote this week that said, for him, that's Jesus, no healing was complete, which did not affect the soul. Um, These hospitals were largely charity hospitals, okay? They weren't for-profit hospitals. They were hospitals for people who could not afford any sort of care. Um, This is one of my favorite things. Fitz is gonna love this. These hospitals, most of them had something called, in the rehabilitation unit, they had people who would come in and who would teach uh, like trades and like different ways that you could make money. So for these people who didn't have a trade, not only did they get healed of their illnesses, but they could learn a craft. Y'all, this is a beautiful thing that the church did. Um, The first hospital that was built in in Rome, the city of Rome, was in 390, uh, and a wealthy widow named Fabiola, Fabiola, I think is how you say it, Fabiola, uh, donated her entire fortune to build it. The poor were brought in off the street and they were ministered to. Yo, this is the heritage of the church, and we should be proud. Even things like property rights. I don't have time to get into American history because it gets really complicated when you start looking at deism and theism and and Christianity. But basically what I want to say is the idea of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Y'all, this is a Christian idea that all people, not just wealthy people, could experience this. The church has contributed innumerable amazing things. Uh, There's a book called The Rise of Christianity. Uh, If you're interested in any of this, I highly recommend it. Um, The guy who wrote it was not a Christian. And when he got done with the book, he was so moved by the work of Christians that he actually converted and became a Jesus follower. You know, there are amazing things that have happened within our history. But listen, something that we have to do, and we're going to turn and we're going to look at us for a minute, and then we're going to close. We have to be willing to look at the garbage and the glory. We have to be willing to look at, at the beauty and the heartache of things that have happened within our history. We have to ask questions, not can what, what can be done with the poor, right? That's the question the world asks. We have to ask the question, what can be done for the poor? These are works of charity. What should this look like for us today? How do we avoid this? How do we stay a gracious, God-fearing, God-worshiping, city-transforming church? Okay, I got three things, three things, and we're going to close it down. Number one, we have to recognize this is a dirty war. Everybody say dirty war. We're going to get into that here in a second. We have to remember the call to bear one another's burdens. And number three, we have to repent of our sin and return to our first love. That is Christ. Okay, number one, we have to recognize this is a dirty war. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. In, in 2017, uh, Russian spies infiltrated Facebook. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a fact. You can go, you can read about it in all kinds of different places. Trust me, I did. Here's what happened. 
Russian spies started two different Facebook groups and they targeted the state of Texas. On one side, there was a Facebook group called the Heart of Texas. Again, you can't make this up. This is started by Russian spies. They had 250,000 followers. The group's tagline was folksy. It was homeland of guns, barbecue, and your heart. All right, that's as Texas as you get, right? These guys had it figured out. Uh, they were there and... Basically, they, they had these conversations within the group that Islamic people were taking over Texas and we had to stop it, okay? On the other side, this other group, there were people uh, who were part of a group called the United Muslims of America. This had 328,000 members of this group on Facebook and their tagline was, I'm a Muslim and I'm proud, okay? And so here's what happened. These Russian spies incited both different sides to have a protest at the exact same time, and it escalated into this huge conflict. This was an enormous issue. What, what's the point in this? Y'all, our enemy, we, and, and make no mistake, there is an enemy who hates the church. Biblically, we believe that he's the devil. I don't have time to go into all of this. If you want to talk more about it later, we can. At some point, I'll probably do a whole sermon on this. He hates the church. And so often when we think of spiritual warfare, we imagine two armies lining up on either side of each other in like Lord of the Rings style combat. But y'all, the, the, the war that we're in is not one that's direct combat, but it's one of espionage. It's one of deceit. And, and it's one of false truths. You know, I, I see this all the time right now. If you spend any time on Facebook, how many times have you seen Christians at each other's throats about two good things? You all listen to me. You need to be skeptical of any teacher, listen, who forces you to reject one good thing about God in order to accept another good thing about God. Okay, what they're doing is, and, and I, I don't wanna say that they're doing it on purpose, it may just be ignorance. Austin and I were talking about this this week. They're creating something called a false dichotomy. <laughs> Somebody say false dichotomy. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples of false dichotomy. Jesus always chose love over theology. Right? It could sound good. It sounds like repost that. Jesus chose love over theology. Good theology leads to love. You don't have to have one or the other. You can have both. Can I get an amen somebody? Jesus always chose sitting with the vulnerable versus standing with the powerful. No, he didn't. <laughs> Jesus sat with tax collectors. He sat with Roman officers. He sat with people in power. He sat with people in the gutter. Jesus is for everybody. This is a false dichotomy. It doesn't have to be one or the other. He always chose healing the broken versus correcting their brokenness. No, he didn't. Jesus would heal somebody. He would encounter their sin, and every time he would either confront the sin directly or at the end he would say, go and sin no more. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's both and. Here's another one I read. Jesus always chose empowering the poor over defending the rich. What does that even mean? <laughs> what is that saying? It's not saying anything. Y'all, Jesus was encountering, Je listen to me. This is very popular right now. Jesus was for everybody, y'all. There were rich people in the church. There were poor people in the church. The, the, the rich people in the church, I fully believe this, y'all. This is in our church right now sitting in our sanctuary. There are probably people in here who have millions of dollars in the bank. And there are probably people in here who have zero dollars in the bank. Y'all listen to me. Those who are wealthy 
need the experiences of the poor for them to remember the compassion of Christ. And we're called to help them. At the same time, the poor need the resources of the wealthy. God has called all of us necessarily to gather into community. And one of the enemy's strategies is to try to convince us as Christians that we have to be either on this side, which is the liberal side, which is for uh, human suffering and things like that, or we have to be on this side, which is the conservative side, which is concerned with economics and things like that. Christians have never fit into a single political system in the history of time. You don't have to take my word for it, but man, I read a bunch about it this week, okay? It, it, It just has never worked. Our values do not fit. Now, am I telling you, uh, don't vote Republican or don't vote Democrat? Vote your conscience. Vote wherever you feel like God's calling you to vote. Here's my point. Don't find yourself within those communities. Don't find your sense of identity in what political party you, you fit in. Find your sense of identity in Christ, in Jesus. That's what God has called us to do. And y'all, the enemy is waging an assault on the church and it's through misinformation, and it's through trying to divide us over things that we actually agree on. I can't tell you how many people I've had mad at me about stuff. It's like, we agree. I don't know what you're mad at me about. Am I saying that I've aced it in every area? Absolutely not. We're going to get to that more here in a second. Good theology is what I want to frame to you before before we go. It, It brings about more love, not less love. Okay, um, I want to tell you a story. Uh, th- there's a woman, I'm reading an, another book, uh, and there's a woman in the book, and just kind of go with me here. Think about this person. She prays daily. She has different spiritual disciplines. She gives to the poor. Um, she's kind, right? This sounds like the perfect Christian. Can I get an amen, right? They pray, they're kind, they have all these things but yet she's not a part of a Christian community. I've I've heard this so many times recently. I've heard people say this, and y'all, I feel this sometimes. They've said, I left the church. Some of you guys may have felt this way this past year, and I realized I didn't miss it, that I didn't really need it. Y'all, I want to read a quote to you, and we're going to talk about that for a second. We'll get two more points, and we're going to close. It's by a guy named Ronald Rollhauser. He said this, He says, thus, despite all of her faith, this person that we just described, her concern for the poor, her mellowness of spirit, she still lacks full balance. Why? What can be missing in a life so honest, so prayerful, and so gracious? The grounding, the earthiness, and the necessary pain that only real involvement within a concrete parish or church-style family can give you. My second point is this. We have to remember the call to bear one another's burdens. You know, there is something it does for our faith when we suffer with other people. This past week, uh, we've been suffering as a family because one of our members is suffering, a guy named Kyle Thompson. Uh, Kyle's gone through some things. He's in the hospital right now. He made some poor decisions. And our M18 family is, is hurting. We have been praying together. We have been seeking together. Can I be really honest That is not something that I wake up every day and I'm like, man, I can't wait to get a call that somebody in our church is in the hospital and is really suffering. (laughs) You know, like I I just don't live like that. If I quit coming to church, if I quit being a part of the church, would I have less of that in my life? Absolutely. But is the call of Christ to look at less suffering? 
Is the call of Christ to have less difficulty or is the call of Christ to be in deep, interconnected relationships where we bear each other's burdens and we help each other? Uh, look, look at the scripture, Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear one, another bur- one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word bear, it, it literally means to carry. Another way to say it is relieve one another's burdens. Uh, this past week was so interesting. I got to see this on a bunch of different levels. Honestly, for me, I think it was maybe not this Wednesday, but the one before, I was really discouraged. Uh, Believe it or not, I have moments where I'm just discouraged. And a friend in our church, he came over, he shows up at the house, and it's so dumb, like it doesn't matter, but he brought me a grill, which I didn't know dad's got anything for having babies, but I'm not arguing about it. A couple of guys went together and got me this grill, and y'all, just being real, in that moment, I just felt super loved. I was thankful for the church. He had no idea how I was feeling, no idea what I was going through. We had another friend this past week who miscarried, lost a baby. And I was sitting up late with them on Tuesday night. And she said, I, I saw this week why I need the church. I saw this week why it's important to me in Christian community because people from the church were coming over, were bringing her food, were sitting with them helping with their kids. And I just thought, man, this is what God's called us to be as the church. We get so distracted by the politics. We get so distracted by the divisions and we forget the call. Y'all don't forget the call to bear each other's burdens. I saw one of you guys in here today. You brought somebody else's uh, kid to church. I bet so the mama could rest. Y'all, that's amazing. That's what we're supposed to do together. So number one, remember that it is a dirty war. All right, the enemy is out there. He is coming to lie. He's coming to cheat. He's coming to steal and he's coming to destroy the church, but he won't win. Number two, we have to remember the call to bear each other's burdens. And number three, we have to repent of our sin and we've got to return to our first love. Revelation two, one through seven, it says this. It says, I know all the things you do. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Okay, really focus in here. I know we've been going through a lot, but I want y'all to catch all this. This is an amazing church. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Check, good job. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. Check, you have good theology. You've discovered they're liars. Check, you're discerning. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Check, they're faithful. This is Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus. He said, but I have one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other the way you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. You know, so often, we as the church, I've fallen into this trap before. We think like, man, if the pastor just brings a better message, Like, we'll be strong as a church. If we just get a super leader, I'm sorry I'm not that. I know some of you guys have thought that. We'll be okay as a church. But this is the church of Ephesus, y'all. This is one of the great churches of history. They had the Apostle Paul as their church planner. Pretty good pedigree. They had his apprentice, Timothy, as their pastor. They had Timothy, the one who got the book of Timothy written to them as their pastor. They had canonized scripture written to them and preached to them. You're not gonna hear a better message than the message of Ephesians. But yet, they still 
fell short. They still missed it. Why? So the question we framed at the beginning is how's the gospel the real practical solution for the problems we face, the issues we face for the culture? How is the gospel the solution to the problem of the church? Jesus calls us in every season of our lives, both individually and as a collective, to search our hearts, to see if there's any way in us that's not right. And when God shows us, not if, when God calls us to repent. Y'all, the grace of Jesus covers us not just as individuals, but us as a collective. It covers our sins, which are many. Because we, whether you know it or not, we are the bride, we are the jewel, we are the one that Jesus loves and will one day come back for. And just like Jesus doesn't leave you alone in your sin, he will not abandon or leave his church. And so the solution, the gospel solution is that we have to continually check ourselves. We have to continually repent. We have to ask God to change us. I've got two things uh, before, before we close up here. Number one, I'm gonna read a really long quote to you. So buckle up because this perfectly encapsulates uh, my experience in the church. A guy named John Tyson said this. He said, I have grappled with the exclusive truth claims of Jesus. I've grappled with historic Christian sexual ethics. I've grappled with the church's complicity in slavery and the oppression of women and violence in the Old Testament and the church's promiscuity within the systems of the world. I'm grieved by my failures and my personal contribution to the staining of her reputation. That's the church. My own apathy and judgment, my hypocrisy and pride, my failures as a pastor and leader, But for better or worse, I have been obsessed with the potential of the covenant people of God. I stubbornly believe that the church can be a source of hope and reconciliation in the midst of the world. My love for the church is not a naive love. I've seen the church be a place of breathtaking beauty and I've seen the church in demonic squalor. The scars of my soul come from the church as does the joy that's come to define my life. Leading in the church has been a source of both trauma and consolations in my life. Y'all, I just want to close with this. I've been lied to and lied about within the church. (laughs) I've also been loved and accepted and found some of the deepest relationships I've ever had in the church. I have struggled with workaholism in the church, working myself to the bone at the expense of my family. But I've I've also been taught good work ethic within the church. Y'all, I've seen families fall apart within the church, but I met my wife within the church. We're raising our kids within the church. Our kids are gonna learn the gospel within the church. And for better or worse, God has called us as a ragtag crew of people from different backgrounds with different experiences to come together as family, to worship, to be in relationship, and to seek the renewal of our city. So I I wanna close with this idea. Repentance is a characteristic of the whole life, not a single action in a single moment. So here's my question for you. Because remember, the church is not just an organization, it's a people. Is there anywhere where you haven't lived up to your beliefs that you just need to repent of? Well, that's why we have the cross wall. That's why every week we give you an opportunity. There's a note card in your seat, things you're praying for. You can go every week and leave something at the cross. That's why we do it. 
Is there anyone that you need to be there for that you haven't been there for? Well, this is why we have these candle stations over here. It's a place where you can go and pray for somebody who's hurting, somebody who's lost. Is there anywhere where you've let the schemes of the enemy into your life? Is there anybody maybe you need to apologize to because of the way that you've treated them because of those things? And is there any place where you might need healing? Um, we're about to close. Um, and my heart for you, as I prepared this sermon, my heart for you now is that God would restore uh, your faith, not in just the weekend assembly of the church, but in the day in, day out life of the church. And that you'd recognize if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, whether you like it or not, God has called us necessarily into community together. It's not just me and God, it's us and God. Amen.